My name is Adam Eberhardt, and you are listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. You are listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. My name is Dana Alston, arts and culture writer at the Daily Emerald and film critic. And joining me today is assistant professor in the Department of Marketing and former Disney Imagineer Troy Campbell. Goes by the moniker Professor of Fun in our correspondence (laughs) together. Um, He is a huge Marvel mega fan and can offer a lot of interesting insight into both Disney and Marvel, which makes him a great guest today to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which came out last weekend. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm I'm doing very good. uh, It's been six days since I've seen it last, so um, still still on the buzz. Same here. Yeah, I thought it was a great movie. Um, So let's start a wide-ranging discussion with a very simple question. What did you think about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Yeah, so I love that question is, what did you think? And I love just, you know, personal reactions to the film. So I I love most all Marvel movies, and I love this one uh, probably in the top half of them. I thought it was just an absolute blast. I had fun with it. I saw it two times in the opening weekend, Mm. uh, including the 7 p.m. show opening night with a bunch of professors in the middle of the IMAX theater all having a ball. The gratuitous amount of end credit scenes were so much fun for me as a fan of Marvel and it was just it was just really fun time with the characters. The story, we can talk about that, but it, yeah. it's just a really good time and it's very much a comedy and uh, uh, artsy kind of film where artsy is not necessarily deep, but like just like fun artsy. Aesthetically artsy. Aesthetically artsy. I, I completely agree with you. Um, mostly when I talk about movies in the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe, I talk about the tricky tightrope they have to walk between entertainment or or adhering to a structure that appeases an audience while still trying to feel fresh. Um, Granted, not everyone is going into the MCU looking for a fresh movie, but as someone who's like sees a lot of movies all the time, I'm always looking for something that grabs me. Um, In terms of walking that tightrope, I think this one did an excellent job. Uh, I agree with you. It's in my top half of Marvel movies. Um, what struck me was the director, James Gunn, his ability to be like visually uh, idiosyncratic, used a lot of um, staged a lot of action sequences in a very unique way. There were a lot of slow motion shots, um, a lot of slow motion shots that were very different than a Zack Snyder slow mo shot. Though. Exactly. Yeah, they were very nicely composed. I actually just the way they composed shots in this. I thought there was a huge visual improvement from the first one to the to this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is uh, far and away. So there's a there's a great YouTube video on the internet called "Why Do Marvel Movies Look Sort of Ugly," and um, why I don't entirely agree with it. Um, I think that this is definitely the most beautiful version we've ever seen of a Marvel movie. It's it's got really bright colors without sort of this gray background that's always in uh, the background of Marvel movies. Yeah, and part of the reason it's so visually arresting, I guess you could say, is. Um, the locations that the plot uses. Um, since we're going to dive in a little bit about yeah. the story, it follows Star-Lord mostly, the leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy, and his encounter with his father, Ego, who t- ends up being sort of this space-faring, omnis- omniscient presence, um, basically a god, um, who has returned to him after years and years of being absent from his son, and he's sort of returned to take on his fatherly duties. Um, so he takes both Star-Lord, Peter Quill, and Gamora, and Drax to his home planet, and 
there's something dastardly lurking underneath the surface of the whole thing. Meanwhile, you have that subplot where um, Rocket and Baby Groot and Nebula are captured by Yondu. Yondu. <laughs> you seem to be excited. It's just the mere mention of his name. Yep. I'm a big fan of Yondu. Um, I, I like him in this um, in this iteration of uh, the MCU. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's played by uh, Michael Rooker, I think the director's name is, who's also famous for playing for playing a major part in The Walking Dead. Um, I really enjoyed the plot for what it was. Um, I feel like that ends part of that sentence for what it was is a big part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, though. Yeah. You could like expectations for this movie, for example, are always going to be set in a certain umbrella. Yeah. And we can talk about this sort of later on and what Disney's trying to do with these things. But these movies, I think, uh, at least how I see them, and I like this fact about them, is that these are serials and they're Saturday morning cartoons for adults. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is they're not trying to make a huge point with any of these movies and they're not trying to have a blisteringly awesome story. They're just trying to give us wonderful characters that you want to see every single time they come on the film. And uh, so one of the things that people often say about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is they have terrible villains. I was about to bring that up. Yeah. I think that and if you talk to Disney, they would tell you, we know that and we don't care because we know that if we have a great villain, that villain's not going to come back. And we know that we want to create characters that you love. So you want to come back seeing them. And also, so you want to buy a lunchbox with those figures on them. And also, so you want to take pictures and hang out with them at Disney. And also, so you want to dress up with them. If you think of um, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, looking back on that, the really brightest spot of that trilogy was just the Joker. And um, that is a trilogy that couldn't have kept going forward with the steam that it had by the end because it wasn't about characters and characters and fun adventures are what keeps us coming back on a daily basis um and you know you and i lots of people listening to this podcast we grew up with cartoons mm -hmm. we know that cartoons are just ridiculous adventures every time that reveal a new interesting thing about a character or a world or a rule or a superpower, and right. it's super fun. Yeah, and Saturday morning cartoons, to your point, uh, the structure of those mostly seem to be copying, copying and pasting a group of characters into different scenarios. Although, you know, you talk about Marvel having forgettable villains, the one that's really huge on the horizon has been for the past several movies, and that's Th Thanos. Um, and there's been references to him in the past, what, six installments, I'd argue, of the MCU, and he's reportedly going to be the main villain in Infinity War, which is upcoming. Um, do you foresee any trouble going forward for the Marvel Cinematic Universe if they come to rely on a villain like that? Yeah, so I'm very interested to see how Infinity War is going to turn out. Right. Um, I think we're all interested to see it. I think that they might not have Thanos play a huge role, and he might, again, just be a plot device um, for the characters. Remember that we're going to have a lot to happen in Infinity War. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, the Russo brothers, I think, said they're the ones who've who are making Infinity War and made the last two Captain America movies, said that what they wanted to do is they wanted to break the Avengers apart. And so when they were most needed to save the world or the galaxy even now, um, they were at their weakest. And so the movie is going to be just another iteration on 
teams coming together. And I think that will be the focus of that movie rather than anything about Thanos. Mm. And Thanos really isn't that of an interesting villain in a way as uh, potentially isn't that interesting of a villain and that he doesn't have a strong like intellectual kind of component to him. Mm. He's not Raj al Ghul or something like that. Right. They could ha- go into his like relationship with death um, and how much he is in love with death, death personified. Hmm. Um, and that could be interesting because again, what the Marvel films do the best is relationships. Right. So if they're going to do anything that and they want to have any mirroring of the villain with the characters, that's what they'll do. Um, but yeah, I, I I have no clue what will happen in that movie. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, part of uh, the one of the points of Civil War as a preamble to Infinity War was to begin that that splintering of the Avengers, right? And that sort of ends on a questionable questionable note where Captain America sends a letter to Tony Stark, basically saying, "We're friends, but we've hurt each other," and so the the wounds are fresh going into Infinity War, which are I think is coming out in twenty nineteen. Is that correct? Um, I think Infinity War is next year. Oh, okay, um, 2018. Sure. Well, we have that to look forward to. It'll be split up into two parts, of course, because yep. it's going to be a huge movie. Um, and across the board, since we're, let's bring it back to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, I mean, this new Marvel film has been getting a lot of positive reception. I think it's sitting at around an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, which mm-hmm. is solid. It's not you know, unheard of praise, but it's in. I'd say it's about a slightly above average for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Why do you think it's getting such a good reception? Um, do you think it's just that it appeals to a wide audience? Yeah, so I think it's getting a good reception. I think talking about the receptions of things is sometimes just as fun for me because I'm a psychologist as talking about the movies. So let's talk about why um, I think this movie is getting um, such a good reception and why I think the Marvel movies will always score pretty high on Rotten Tomato Meter. Sure. So couple things one the rotten tomato meter just needs a thumbs up um right. so this these movies are not this movie probably doesn't have like a 10 out of 10 from a lot of people but it has enough to get it a thumbs up and so that's why it's getting good on the rotten tomato the other thing is that it's definitely a director's movie so it is a singular vision and the people who rate movies on rotten tomatoes are film people and they tend to like directors movies that have a clear vision yeah. james gunn has a clear vision he tells you that in the very first scene more so than other marvel films i'd argue definitely more so than other marvel films yeah. um and and the other thing is the expectation of a marvel film is always sort of a little bit low cuz again it's a saturday morning cartoon this is not Zack Snyder telling you come to Batman v Superman for a introspective existential commentary on every single possible modern trope and I'm going to put in two of the most famous Superman storylines into um, this I'm sensing a beef with Zack Snyder incoming. Um, yeah, uh, I just think I, so I'm not as a huge a fan of those um, of those movies mm-hmm. and I, I think to some degree, um, I, I think if I was 15 or 16 and I saw that movie for the first time, I might like it a lot. Yeah. Um, I think that those movies have some depth to them, but they don't have a massive amount of depth to them. Not nearly as much as they think they do. Not nearly as much as they think they do. And I'll say this to be sort of mean, not nearly as much as a Wikipedia article <laughs> on the word ex- uh, existentialism. Like, 
um, I, I like to say this sometimes to people who, who love really smart movies, to be sort of mean, but read a book. Um, <laughs> that there are a lot of really interesting ideas um, that really cannot be explored as well in movies. And movies have, have the space to do that, but a big blockbuster movie is never going to be a place where true, deep, th- nuanced philosophy is going to come across, in my general opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is a place where sort of emotions and characters can come across. And that's what I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe knows, is that these movies are places for emotions and connections. And that's something you can do in a two-hour movie where 45 minutes of it at least needs to be explosions. Yeah, I think it was... To, to, to speak about the film people, as you mentioned, about Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Roger Ebert was the one in my early early film critic days, i.e. 12 years old. Um, I was reading a lot of Roger Ebert, and he said, film is not an intellectual space. It is, as you described, an emotional space. Yeah. Yeah. So um, basically what you're saying is that Marvel sets up a series of boxes for audiences to check when they when they go up to a theater more or less yeah so so let's talk about what they're what they're doing um, yeah sure and uh so yeah so actually let's talk about one thing of there are sort of two reactions to them to guardians of the galaxy and let's just talk about the people who don't like the movie and stuff so okay, yeah. there's a there's some people who don't like the story structure of the movie and i um will agree with them and mm-hmm. uh, there's sort of if you look at some of the people who really like this movie, um, it's the how it should have ended people on YouTube are the perfect fan of this movie. So those people love aesthetic art and comedy. And if you love aesthetic art, comedy and characters, this is your movie. OK. But if you like story, um, if you're really into story structures and Joseph Campbell is your idol and other things like that and you love good information reveals and you love the plotting of a great plotted out movie like Ex Machina where the right. information reveals are wonderful. This is a movie that isn't good with story. And that reveal that happens in the, that starts off the third act. Should we just say spoiler alert and start I, talking about it openly? I think that's a lot. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Spoiler okay. Yeah. Alert. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> ego is bad. <laughs> like the, the, the planet that, um, that, they travel to is actually ego himself and he's this sort of space parasitic entity who has planted himself through various planets um and he fell in fell in love with quotes with peter quill's mother who died at the beginning of the first guardians of the galaxy simply so that he could so that she could give birth to like an extension of ego and he needs that extension to activate his parasitic powers and swallow the whole universe up. And he's been going around the galaxy and sleeping with every known species, and all of the other offspring he's created have never been um, carried the light. Right. Um, And uh, Peter Quill's the first one. Yeah. And so um, that reveal, which happens, happens over, like, I think it's like four different... Um, there's four different locations where characters are doing stuff. There's like where Gamora is, there's where Mantis is, there's where Ego is, um, and then there's the stuff that had recently happened with Rocket. And so much information gets delivered so quickly and in a really chopped up, jagged way that it does not have a good impact. All the potential sort of philosophical parts of that just just is lost on it. And, and if you want to criticize it for that, go ahead. 
it, it definitely does not handle that well. But again, I think Disney might know that. They know that they have a MacGuffin-type plot to just do what they want to do, which right. is characters and push along the series. So that, that ultimately, that's what it's trying to do is characters and push along the series. But how do you think they do that specifically? Is there some sort of element of individuality when it comes to this movie or the Marvel and Cinematic Universe in general? So Marvel is always going to try and create likable, relatable characters. Okay. And they're going to create a large cast of them so everybody has a touch point. So Marvel walks this fine line, I think, very well so far where they are creating enough diversity across the types of the movies that they are making and enough character diversity, at least, um, within their uh, cast of uh, growing Avengers and Guardians that everybody can find a character that they like. And so there's a lot of hate on Gamora being this sort of boring character, but she is sort of this interesting or to some people, interesting, no-nonsense female character that a lot of people actually do really relate with. Right, and in this film specifically, I think the dynamic between her and Nebula is explored much more in depth, and there's that moment when they're, the two, like, Nebula comes after her in the ship, and they crash, and they have that fight in the cave, and there's the line where Nebula screams at her, you wanted to win, I just wanted a sister, which paints Gamora in this entirely new light, Mm -hmm. like, that she was so competitive that she would sacrifice her own sister's well-being just so that she could be the victor and and that's such that example is just such a lovely example of what the marvel cinematic universe does is they don't just reveal new things about the universe they reveal new things about these characters and again it's these characters that i think are just so useful for what disney is trying to do and that Zack snyder's uh extended world doesn't have those sort of lovable characters the way that the MCU did, and even the way that Suicide Squad did to lots of people. Oh, yeah. I mean, Suicide Squad to me was just, to, to go off on a tangent here, it's just such a blatant ripoff of what Guardians of the Galaxy was trying to do. And for whatever for whatever reason, for me, it was like editing and writing and whatever. Suicide Squad just fail, fell flat in its face. Yeah. But, I mean, talk to high schoolers about it. They love Suicide Squad. And... <laughs> And that's not such a bad thing. Like yeah, if, uh, that's true. And I think one of the things at the end of the day is always remember is that people are making movies and they're not always for you. And if, you, if you're not feeling that type of movie or you're not in the mood for that type of movie, that doesn't mean that movie is bad. Oh, yeah. It means that person had skill in creating that. So um, there are so many pop songs on the radio <laughs> that I hate. But yes. I know that the people who made them are insanely talented. I mean, there's a reason that people study pop music, yep. right? There is a formula that works, and that formula is widely appreciated, i.e., it because it's pop music, you know? And I don't think there's, I don't think, I mean, I'm taking this pop analogy pretty far, but I don't think a pop movie is any less equal to, like, an artsy, oscar Beatty film. Yeah. So I know we're running late on time, but I wanted to say um, one last sure, yeah. sort of really thing about what I think the uh, MCU is doing that's related to some of the research I do. Sure. So some of the research I do on fandom and expertise is that we really enjoy having expertise over things. Um, that when we have this expertise and we get to exercise that expertise, it's very, very enjoyable. And what Marvel is really, really good at doing is teaching us to be experts of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, We get to know the characters really well. Those characters return, and we're experts on those characters. 
They have a bunch of end credit scenes, some that you understand, some that you don't understand, some that you learn by looking on Wikipedia really quickly and pretending that you're friends, that you actually remembered that from the comics by the time you get out. Um, I've done that and, more than a few times. And other things like, you know, or a moment uh, like when I saw it. Um, so both times when I saw uh, the end credit scene with the Adam Warlock. Um, mm. So they say, um, I'll call him Adam. And then somebody just screams out, Warlock! When I saw uh, Iron Man 2 and the Thor's hammer is uh, in the end credit scene. It's just Thor's hammer and someone just screams out, Thor! And like, it's a really wonderful experience for us, uh, for people to have. And the internet has made it really easy between comics explained on YouTube. Marvel app is really good at um, uh, getting new users to comics that they like. Marvel's very, very good at not just making great content, but understanding fandom and how to genuinely cultivate it. Um, there is a lot of things that I would that are over commercial about Guardians of the Galaxy and Marvel from the Gillette, I think, commercials or the Haynes commercials. Um, but uh, overall, there is a and, and as a person who's worked at Disney, most of the people who work at Disney are huge fans and they really understand fandom and they want to create great experiences that they themselves would enjoy. All right, I think that about wraps it up. Thank you, Troy Campbell. We're going to be a part two of this podcast where we go more in-depth about Disney's process, process creating experiences like the one he described. If you'd like to hear more from the Emerald Podcast Network, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or SoundCloud, or you can go to the Emerald Podcast database at dailyemerald.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>